Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. When you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we get an email from you with a question or a comment or a testimonial, we'll address it on the Internet show and then... As time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your input or feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. So let us know how these things are landing for you, what's working and what isn't. Also, once you're on that web page, it'll let you get access to a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through the worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to them, even repeatedly, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefit from the use of these tools in the shortest amount of time. So that's what we're here to talk about and promote. I um I've had some exposure this morning to a podcast from We Can Do Hard Things with Glennon Doyle, her sister Amanda and her wife Abby. And I have to highly recommend this. We've been talking in the way of mastery about a variety of things related to our lives and the work we're doing, whether it's at, at our jobs or in our relationships or in what we might consider our spiritual path, etc. And I mentioned this once before that um, Abby and Amanda and Glennon did two previous podcast shows where they were talking to Liz Gilbert. And Liz Gilbert is the author of Eat, Pray, Love and a bunch of other books. And Liz has been doing a practice of writing herself a letter from unconditional love. And she in the in the two previous shows um both Glennon and her wife Abby did that practice and then shared their letters and eventually Glennon's sister Amanda agreed to do it as well and the show that and the most recent show that I listened to is Amanda reading her letter. And I cried as I listened to it. I in, in, immediately thought, I want to read this on the Internet show. And I went looking for it, trying to get the transcript. I was not able to do that. So I can't share that with you today, unless, of course, as I keep trying to refresh their website, it shows up 
And yet I will share that there were just so many pieces of it that look at how very, very similar perspectives is what we're hearing from the way of mastery and what we get from people like Bill Hicks and um, the idea that um, there is no there's no score being kept in our lives. What if we're just here just to be here and play this this thing we call life, play the game? Bill Hicks wrote a piece once. I've read this before. And he says, he was a comedian. Um, and he's, he's no longer with us, but a powerful piece titled, Life is like a ride in an amusement park. And it says, life is like a ride in an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. The ride goes up and down, around and around. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud, and it is fun for a while. Many people have been on the ride a long time, and some of them begin to wonder, hey, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us and they say, hey, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid ever, because this is just a ride. And we kill those people. Hey, shut him up. I got a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at the furrows of worry on my brow. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill the good guys who try to tell us that. Did you ever notice that? And then we let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. Just a simple choice right now between fear and love. Now, the eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your doors, buy guns, and close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money that we spend on weapons and defenses each year and instead spend it on feeding clothing and educating the poor of the world which it would pay for many times over not one human being excluded and we could explore space both inner and outer forever in peace worry ever because it's just a ride and in Amanda's letter from unconditional love that's essentially what it was telling her 
it was telling her that she has constantly worked in her life to live from, to lead with her brain and not let her heart or unconditional love lead. And it called her to notice, have you noticed, have you recognized how exhausted your mind is, your brain is, trying to constantly come up with the solutions, trying to do what Michael Rice would call the pseudo, the number one pseudo-solution of the non-being mind, which is figuring it out. I'm trying to figure it out. Well, when Amanda was writing to herself as though unconditional love were writing, that's exactly what it said. Hey, look, this isn't... This isn't a game where anybody is keeping score. The only person who's been keeping score in Amanda's life is Amanda. And what if we're here to play on the planet just to learn to play on the planet? What if the way of mastery says, you know, think with the mind of the creator and the mind of the creator thinks playfully over and over and over again from various teachings what if there's nobody outside of you judging you but you what if there are these natural consequences of the things that you choose as behaviors and that's it and what if as the way of mastery has been telling us these past few lessons in lesson 8 and lesson 9 that even after we've chosen for all of these angry, hurtful, bitter, negative, resentful energies, as they come back to us, as the ripples of those choices and energies come back to us, we are never a victim. We're free to choose. We are free to choose how we interpret and respond to the energies that come back to us. Whether we initiated them or somebody else initiated them, What if there's nobody judging you from the outside? What if all of these religions that say God is going to judge you on Judgment Day or punish you if you sin, what if they're not accurate? Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. That sounds wonderful. As soon as you figure out which one it was, we could listen. Or do you know? You were looking for this transcript. But I have, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know what it is, but they haven't okay. posted the transcript on their website yet where they, where they put the transcripts. Oh, so I you can go and listen to the podcast. It's, you know... Do you the know what idea number it is, is um, just the most recent one. Hold on just a minute while I pull it up. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, 
the podcast number 281, how Amanda finally calmed her brain and her letter from love with Liz Gilbert. It's 281. Okay, great. Fitting right in with that, and it's a teeny testimonial. Um, We had our support group yesterday, uh, and one of our members, he's an older guy, 84, he lives alone. He's had many bumps in his life, but he's a very special person. I shouldn't say that because we're all special, but in any case, he practices what he calls the presence, and we always grill him because we always, all of us want to want to be in on that and learn how he does it. He says it really isn't anything spectacular. I just step away from anything that isn't peaceable or loving in my system, and I just step back into the presence. And somebody said, "How how do you feel?" And he said. I feel he's not a very articulate man. He's very bright, but he has trouble finding words. He said, I feel, I feel, I feel good. <laughs> he says, okay, more, more. And so we're throwing out words like well-being. Would that fit? He said, yeah, that's good. Peaceful, yeah. Uh, bliss, no. Joyful, no. I wouldn't say that. So I'm... This is half-baked, what I'm telling you, because we're waiting for those words, and that's stuff that we're feeding into it. But then I asked him, what about, do you ever have a negative thought or an unfavorable reaction to someone? He said, oh, yeah, all the time. And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, I tell myself they're not important. I don't know if you're as impressed with that as I am, but, you know, when you say, well, it's not real, or it's all a dream, or we're all one, for me, that spiritual bypass in uh, vocabulary, it, it, it's probably true. I can't find my way there without another step in between, and one of them is simply that he says it's not important. So I just say, oh, look at that. Oh, that's, that's not important. And he puts it aside, and it has no energy, and he's back in the presence. And we say things to him like, are you in the presence right now, in, with the presence right now? And he said, oh, yes. How do you feel? I feel good. <laughs> we, can't, we keep squeezing him for more information, but he's like our little guru on there. But I just thought that thing he said about it's not important, I don't know if you could find that as useful as I do, but I feel as if this huge relief is I can say that to myself and believe it. So there's my input. Well, that's exactly what all of these teachings are saying. Mm -hmm. Things are only important when I give them importance. Mm -hmm. No no one's creating what's important for me except me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if I make it important, it's important for me. If I Mm -hmm. say it's not important and I just listen to myself, then that can create that experience for me. It's like what I was saying probably just yesterday. I was sharing that, you know, Michael Singer, in the talk we listened to on Tuesday, he said, so here's this practice that the yogis do, and anyone can do it. Whenever you have a thought that's negative at all in any way, instantly 
choose the opposite thought. Mm, nice. Do so you have a thought? If you have a thought that says, "Oh my gosh, if my my husband or wife or my dog died, I would never be able to tolerate it." Mm. Instantly, just say, "Oh, if my husband or wife or dog died, I'd be just fine." Mm-hmm. And this is another thing that you know the the. From the podcast, we can do hard things, and they were talking about, well, you know, some people are going to think this is a bunch of hooey. Why would I listen to my mind tell me a bunch of things as though it was speaking from unconditional love? Why would I let unconditional love write and think that's any more useful than anything else? Because I'm just listening to some thoughts. I'm listening to some voice in my head tell me something. That's not real. Well, what are any of us doing all day, every day, mm-hmm. but listening to the voice in our heads tell us things. That's so true. And so most of us are trained and conditioned by the culture to let it tell us things that are negative, and we believe them as though right. that's the God's truth. Why right. not switch it around? Mm-hmm. Well, when you add to that the yogic practice of saying, Whenever there's a negative thought in my head, I'm not going to let it sit there and bounce around unchallenged or I'm not going to fight against it. I'm just going to choose the opposite thought and give it a run, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, my God, if the economy crashed. Oh, my gosh, if the stock market goes down again and my you know, retirement savings are depleted, I, I wouldn't be able to tolerate it. Oh, if, if the stock market goes down and my retirement savings are depleted, I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. That's nonsense. But yes, but they're both nonsense, right? The negative one is yeah. every bit as not as much nonsense as the positive one. I, I routinely have people in my sessions, and I say, okay, let's just take a look at how many times in your life you've had a thought that said, "Oh my God, if this happened or that happened, I wouldn't be able to stand it." Yeah. yeah. Well, many, many <laughs> times for most people. And then I say, so how many times right after you said that, it happened and you died? And they chuckled because they never died, right? It was never the truth. That's great. Every time it's come up, it's been a lie. That's great. I love it. It's always Mm. a lie that you can't handle this or that. Right. You're always handling everything that happens. You don't necessarily like everything that happens, but you handle it. Mm -hmm. And what the yogi practices talk to them about is how do you get yourself to understand that and that really you're going to be okay. And the only thing that you have any control over is whether or not you get tight or tense and upset and create all kinds of upset about it or you go through it with ease. But you're going to go through it whatever it is. And every thought about how you can't handle it or you won't survive it or this or that is a, is a lie. It's a falsehood. Mm. Wow. And the whole thing about how Amanda has been living her life as though, you know, she's somebody's keeping score and she's going to, you know, get, she's going to lose. And and mm-hmm. Unconditional Love talks to her and says, 
it's okay. No one's keeping score but you. Mm. It's perfectly okay. Yeah. And let your heart lead. Mm. And watch what happens. Give your brain a rest. Well, that's exactly what the way of mastery has been calling us to. Cancel. It says it in the promise before it even starts the lessons. Cancel everything you think you know. Give your mind a rest. Mm. Cancel everything you think you want or need. Turn this over to another part of you. In the internal family systems work, they call it the capital S self, your true self. Mm. And your true self is going to be governed by the eight C's. Remember talking about that? These eight words that begin with the letter C? I don't remember. I'm going to pull them up here for you. And, um, you know, you, you, you can find them for yourself if you just go into your search engine and type in eight C words IFS. Because in the IFS model, your, your higher self, capital S self, is always solid, it has the answers, and these eight C words are compassion, curiosity, clarity, creativity, calm, confidence, Mm. courage, and connectedness. So if if the thoughts in your mind are coming from those, any one of those eight descriptors, might be coming to you from your true self, from your core self. If it's coming with anything that's angry, tense, scared, hurt, it's not your core self. It's a wounded part. Yeah. Another way to counteract. Go go ahead. Go ahead. Another way to counteract what? negative thoughts I've been practicing that with our housemate if I have a negative thought I list to myself five things I really like about this person or five things that he has done that are thoughtful that I haven't put much value on because I haven't thought much about it it's just a little it's a little it's like um, a chemical reaction it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool. For decades now, I've had people, if they're doing marital therapy, one of the, one of the things that would happen to is each of you create a list of things, qualities that you appreciate about your partner. Yeah. And then you you write it down and you keep it memorized or you keep it near you. And any time you think you're upset about something they did, or said or didn't do you think they should, whenever you generate upset and your mind is telling you it's about them, here's your assignment. Pull out that list and read it and read it and reread it until you're calm and then evaluate whether or not this situation that your mind is telling you your upset's being caused by this other person, 
then you decide, is this even worth mentioning? Yeah. And then when you go to mention it, now you're going at it from this calm, loving space, and you're talking to somebody that you appreciate and value deeply for all these reasons that are top of mind, I guarantee you it's going to go differently. Yes, I can see how that would be. And most of the time what happens is people say, oh, it isn't even worth mentioning. Yeah. But when it is worth mentioning, now they're going at it to go talk to somebody they love and care about and have great respect for. Mm. Pretty high odds it's going to go better. It's going to go differently. Yeah. It's going to be received differently, and the results are going to be more productive for everyone involved. I don't know why this just came to mind, but <clears throat> there is one category of people that I put, probably many, but this one is has been opaque, impenetrable, and not workable with. When I was um, very young, I was at a camp, and there was one of the counselors there was a, she called herself a psychic, and she read my palm. And I don't think she had been taught good palm reading and psychic practice which would be, to my mind, that you say only helpful or positive things. If you see something really not so good, you might just keep it to yourself. And she said a lot of things that I appreciated and thought to be true about myself. And one prediction she made years later came true. So I give her a lot of value. But one thing she said was, you're going to have a hard time when you get old. You're going to spend a long time in the hospital. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think about that as I'm getting ancient. And I think, oh, my God, you know, it's one of those things I haven't. I haven't even, I have to admit, I haven't done a wake-up sheet on it. But my first thought is, oh, a wake-up sheet wouldn't have any power over this thing. That's how... Much credence. <laughs> <laughs> a wake-up sheet won't have any power over this thing because this thing is so yep. powerful because the psychic told it to you when you were younger. Yeah. That's classic. You're going with this. <laughs> well, that's classic. And listen, and it's absolutely true because if you never pull out a a, a worksheet and you just keep pouring mind energy into the thought that the worksheet can't do anything for it then that's absolutely what will happen right your your mind energy is a creative force yeah okay <clears throat> i get it what is what does michael say about uh, you know the, the biblical story of job do you ever remember <laughs> remember him talking about that yeah 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 the worst thing i the thing i feared the most has come upon me Right. That's the whole thing, is what I sit in fear of and I pour my mind energy into. Since my mind energy is a creative power, I create out of my fears. 
That's exactly what Lesson 8 and Lesson 9 in the Way of Mastery are trying to tell us. As you drop those thoughts into the still clear pool of your awareness, they have energy. They ripple out from there. They create effects in the world outside and as they bounce back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and this that's is why exactly... It, this is exactly what? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. This is exactly what I did with this other friend that I've told you about, who when I meet with her, we aren't working together anymore. I used to be a client of hers, and then we became friends, and it's always very, you know... Challenging. That happens, I think. Very challenging. Because she retains a kind of authority to me. And she says to me that she sees dark entities around me. I've told you about her. And we've, you know, and I just had a talk with her and I said, I had told her, I don't want to hear that stuff. I, I allow it to take my agency away. I don't want to believe that and I don't think it's true and if it is true I have my tools that I can work with with it but she says well I'm really this is what she pulled the last time I'm really gifted in this like I really <laughs> know more than most people <laughs> so I said okay there's my next challenge and I have I have done pretty well with that because she is powerful to me but she's in that same category of psychic people who can read things that regular quote unquote people can't read and I don't have that gift so you know and she she'll then she'll and I'm so susceptible she'll say how are the grand boys and instead of saying great or you know none of your business which I would never say thank you for asking but she's on one, and this is a negative thought that may not be true. I think she's probably looking for business. She wants me back as a client, and I wouldn't All right. allow her to Hold work. on a minute. Hold on a minute. Okay. There was some garbling that was happening. I didn't hear what you said. Well, maybe that was good fortune. <laughs> maybe how about, how about just back up two sentences? Okay. Just that. She'll ask how my grandkids are, and I have one of them who's in some distress right now. There's always somebody who's struggling. Why not? They're young people in this crazy world. But uh, I'll say, well, he's having a hard time, and she'll say, she'll start saying, you want me? I see entities. Do you want me to remove them? And I was caught off guard, and I said, sure, do it, quick. And she she did. I heard her mumbling to herself, and then she said, okay, they're all clear. But there's much more. I mean, we should have a session. And I think, oh, no, nope, I'm not going there. And it's a, as you can see, it's a, it's a friendship that's fraught. But <clears throat> she is good about if I, if I get my center back and I say, I don't want you to do that. That doesn't feel good to me. She'll say, oh, yeah, I've had other people say that to me, too. She's honest. And that that's a big plus in any relationship. But anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that, except that I do tend to give authority to certain people who have some gift that I think I can't possibly have. Only they have it, and I need it. That's baloney, isn't it? 
Okay, thank well, you, Doctor Kim. Do you, Kim. <laughs> do, do, you re, do you remember the uh, the part in the Way of Mastery that talks about who who your teachers are and and who you who you want to follow and who you want to run away from? No, I don't. This is getting embarrassing. I don't remember. It says, <clears throat> you know, when when in in lesson ten it says the way is easy and without effort. Mm-hmm. And then it it has a thing where it says, <laughs> so what are your teachers telling you? Are they telling you it's got to be complicated and you've got to go do all kinds of pilgrimages and you've got to have all kinds of techniques you use or are they asking you, what do you think? What do you want? Are they telling you you have to follow them? Are they telling you anything that's got fear in it? Have they let fear creep into their teaching? Because if that's happened, run away from them. You are far beyond them. You don't need them. And this is fear at any level. Uh Whether it's something that comes out of my mouth because I'm in fear about something or something that mm-hmm. comes out of Dr. Michael Rice's mouth because he's in fear about something, or or it's something that I create a sense of fear about because of how I interpret what Michael Rice says. You know, it's all kinds of stuff mm. that people talk about that's going on in the world today, and without the blinking of an eye, it, people go to fear. Mm-hmm. It's, doesn't even yep. take the blink of an eye for people to take the current life situation and, and go to fear. Yeah. Right? People, people are having fear about who's allowed into what bathroom. <laughs> no. Just imagine this. Imagine how powerfully <laughs> we as a culture have bought into fear and and creating it at all kinds of levels and depths and so especially in this situation where you've got a friend who's reading dark entities around I would just call mm-hmm. you to if you like the way of mastery as a set of teachings just tune into what it says about fear and and you know it's it's basically the same thing as the message from A Course in Miracles where it says please choose love over fear and that you know one really good definition for a um, a miracle is any any place where someone has decided to choose love over fear mm. that's good and it really really fits into Amanda's letter from Unconditional Love and um, the idea that we're here to play. We're here to play not to accomplish something, but just to play. And no one is keeping score except you. There's just so much good stuff in that letter that uh, Amanda wrote to herself from love. Plus, 
one of the most amazing things about it is this is a person who's been, you know, basically an intellectual perfectionist and, and didn't mm-hmm. want to do this, and, and her, her sister did it, and her sister-in-law did it, but she wouldn't do it. And eventually, because mm-hmm. she knows of the value of the people involved, she decided, okay, I'll give it a try. And she made an agreement with Liz Gilbert that she would do it by such and such a date. Uh, you know, trying, trying to give herself uh, some accountability. And she mm-hmm. didn't want to disappoint. But as she was getting closer to that date, she started feeling physically ill, nauseous. Wow. And so she was sick and she couldn't do it. And she said, she called Liz or wrote her or whatever and said, I'm sorry, but I can't. And Liz just said, that's okay, sweetie, just take another week. So she did, right? She got over her flu bug or whatever it was, and then she went to do the writing. And and then when she sent it, she she sent it like in at like I don't know whether it was Super Bowl Sunday or Saturday or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she sent it to Liz Gilbert, and it's right at the time of the Super Bowl. And she didn't mm. even know about the soup. She's not tracking. She's not a sports mm-hmm. person. She's not connected mm-hmm. with sports people. And so her writing uses the football analogy through the entire thing. And this is a woman who's, there's no way she would use a football analogy for anything. Wow, that is so and it even, And it even mentions... Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Oh my God, that's amazing! It's just, and it's it's like, it's the perfect example of you can't think this up. This is not yeah. this woman's conscious logical mind writing this letter. Mm. This is not her brain doing this. <clears throat> That's great to add that. It's like adding a tremendous layer of credibility to the connectedness of all people. The fact that she was so tuned, she was picking up on frequencies about what was going on everywhere that she didn't care a bit about. That's amazing. And that's, you know, that's that's all of us, right? When, when we let yeah. go and let, what you, whatever you want to call it, unconditional love speak through you or Holy Spirit speak through you or your higher self speak through you, whatever you want to call it. That's the point of this work is that every one of us has access to that kind of synchronicity and power and wisdom and flow. Mm-hmm. And or you, you, you might, you know, look at the eight C's from the internal family systems work. Every one of us has a part of us, a core part of us that can come from curiosity and compassion and clarity and connectedness and creativity and courage and confidence and calm in every moment. Mm. Mm. Every one of us has the place within us that can tap into that. And this idea of writing yourself a letter from unconditional love is just one really good way to tap into that. And when you do, 
what you're going to find is unconditional love just extends love. Mm-hmm. You're going to find there's no judgment, just like all of the, the work we've been reading in the way of mastery in Lesson 3. Judgment is error. Judgment is the opposite of forgiveness. It's the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of living in the flow of life. It's using some part of our creative force to create something other than the flow of life itself. And we can do that. We have that ability. And when we do, it creates results. And we're encouraged in this kind of work to evaluate. Do we like that? Do we want to keep it up? Or are we going to choose something else? Mm. What is it that we're choosing, and how are we creating from what we're choosing? It's not, oh, this is bad or wrong. It's just that you're you're probably suffering and slumbering in your suffering in ways mm. that help you hide from yourself the fact that you're the one creating your suffering. That's why Diedrich Wolzak and The Course in Miracles encourage us so often to just choose again. When you're mm-hmm. choosing a set of thoughts, try the yogic practice. You choose a negative thought, try the yogic practice that says, I'll try on the opposite thought. Oh, mm-hmm. this is going to be horrible. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. Well, what sense does that make? It doesn't make any more sense than the negative, but it doesn't make any less sense than the negative. Again, the idea is you're going to survive. You're going to get through this. Your only option is how much suffering are you going to put yourself through in the process of getting through this? Mm, Yeah. And it's our minds, it's our conscious logical minds and our brains that are doing that. You know, on a regular basis, I have a new patient. I had one just this morning right before this Internet show. I have a new patient in my office, and I, and I explain to them the bottom line observations. And I usually start with the first four. Well, today we were low on time, so I, I just went to lesson three and uh, observation number three and observation number four. Observation number three is, after decades of trying, I finally woke up and realized that I can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. (laughs) Observation number four is, I can only control and be responsible for my own emotions and reactions. I can't control or be responsible for the emotions and reactions of anybody else, no matter how hard I try. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to most people, and they nod, and I say, so so you're agreeing with that? Yes, okay. Then I I ask them, so do you realize that you just agreed to the fact that no one's ever made you angry, no one's ever made you feel sad, scared, hurt, or offended in any way? And this morning, the gentleman that I was talking to said, no, people make me angry all the time. And I said, "Isn't isn't that fascinating? I said, I was speaking Mm. English. 
your first language, my first language, it made sense to you. You <laughs> nodded. I asked you if it made sense to you. You said, yes, it does. And then when I tell you, here's what it truly means, you said, no, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how crazy the, the cultural conditioning is that makes <laughs> us think in these convoluted ways and then believe we're making sense <laughs> that's the mind that's the brain that's the i'm going to figure it out part of our mind it's insane i will tell you this statement you will agree with it and then 30 seconds later you disagree with it and you think it's valid to do both Wow. That's our minds. That's why it's such a good thing to practice something like have unconditional love write you a letter. That's why it's valuable to cancel all of your thoughts and goals. Cancel, put away everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away. Cancel everything you think you know and leave a clean and open space for the Christ mind to come. Why? Because your mind way of mastery says it is it's the intellect and your intellect has been shoved full of trivialities like garbage into a garbage can and all it can ever do is spit it back out at you so Amanda finally let loose and just let some other part of her consciousness speak to her. And it's powerful. Mm. And it's going to be loving, it's going to be compassionate, it's going to be calm and clear and curious and courageous and centered whenever any of us do it. Everybody's got access to that core part or to the Holy Spirit or to God or to light or to higher wisdom or to their unconscious. Everybody's got an access point to a greater wisdom than they will ever derive from thinking about things. Mm. The problem with that is, and Guy Finley talks about this so beautifully, he says, you know, people talk about all this manifesting stuff and how important it is. He says the problem with manifesting is, while it happens and it can be, you know, a, a good lesson in the way of mastery says, it can be, you know, an, an important stage and a nice remembering. But Guy Finley says the problem with manifesting stuff is you can only want to manifest what your cultural training has told you you should want to manifest. Mm. He says, okay, so you, you have to get around, you have to have transportation. This is a real thing. And so you think, well, a car is transportation. And I've been told that a Mercedes is a really good car to drive, so I'm going to manifest a Mercedes. And he says, That's, there's a fundamental flaw in that process. You think you're so powerful and this is what you want and you're going to manifest it. You can only want what you've been programmed to want from that part of your mind. 
from the brain, from the conscious logical, from the intellect, as the way of mastery would call it. And the good news is there's a lot more going on here than you know about, and there's a lot more that's accessible to you than just your conscious logical mind, which is why we promote the Reality Management Worksheet, where you cancel everything your conscious logical mind is saying. That's why we promote things like the EFT tapping to bypass it. And, you know, in my private practice, I use the neuroemotional technique specifically to bypass the conscious logical mind, to tap into things that you can't get when you're churning around what's been programmed into you from your family and your culture and your language. And the good news is there's a lot more going on here than just that. The not so good news is you're not going to get introduced to it from the culture. You can, you can be there in a heartbeat if you will allow it, if you will ask to be shown, if you will quit relying so heavily on what you've been trained into and programmed into. If you can just wake up just like the number one bottom line observation is, if whatever I'm doing isn't working, I should feel free to try something else. Well, that's essentially what had to happen for Amanda she had to finally just give up this incessant belief that her brain has to figure everything out and that she has to be the smartest person in the room and that she's always got to do it right and that you know if she doesn't do it right, um, her people, her family isn't going to get taken care of, etc., and she's going to lose, right? There's, there's going to be a score. Someone's keeping score, and they're going to tell her that she's lost the game. And the essence of that talk is there is no game to be lost here. No one's keeping score except for you. There's no external judge that's judging you. That's why Way of Mastery says in Lesson 3, judgment itself is the opposite of forgiveness. It's the opposite of capital L love. It's all a construct of your mind when you judge this is good and that is bad and this is right and that is wrong. And every time you do that, you take yourself further and further away from what that lesson calls the purity of your own consciousness you put more and more veils or obstructions Mm. or filters between you and the actuality of life every time you judge so there easy peasy (laughs) Lemon squeezy. So I I will look for the opportunity when they post that, and I will hope that in, in the near future I can read that letter, and mm. I'll make it part of the uh, archives. But for now, great. it's, it's yeah. uh, episode, I think, what did I say? It's 81. 
281, I think you said, but I'll look at Put my paper away. Yeah, two, uh, 281. 281. Yeah. It's the uh, We Can Do Hard Things podcast Yeah. that was um, published today or yesterday. And I hope that people get a chance to listen to that and you know, <laughs> give us some feedback about whether or not it's resonating as powerfully for them as it was for me. Mm. And I hope that you're uh, you're able to add what we talked about with that yogic practice of just every time you have a negative thought, just create the opposite thought and think it. Run that through your mind, yeah. and and mm-hmm. and think that that's pretty much the ba- the same as what you're. Your, your guru in your group is doing when he's saying it's not important. Yeah. Don't you love it? It's... Yeah, whatever thought I have about this is not important. Mm-hmm. Whatever this person's saying that I might have a negative thought about is not important. And thereby you create the response or the impact you will have that your mind is trying to tell you is from what somebody else said or did. But you're Mm -hmm. never triggered by what somebody else ever says or does. You're never negatively impacted by what they say or do. You're impacted by the interpretation you create and the mind energy you pour into that pattern of thoughts that we call an interpretation. That's what creates your experience of life. That's what the way of mastery says over and over and over again and offers us to just observe it. That's the invitation. So I realize we're at the end of our time. I will mute you so you can listen in. Thank you so much for the comments, questions. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Kim. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Thursday, February the 15th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in and um, just invite everybody once again to go to the website and uh, look around. If you see anything that's not working, please drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and let me know, and I will get it corrected. Um, just the other day, uh, day before yesterday, found an error in our shopping catalog. And so, you know, it, there could be something going on anywhere. So, and there's so many pages to our website. So if you run across something, please drop me a line and uh, let me know that it's messed up or whatever. There was uh, also on the front page of the home page of the website, 
the video at the bottom of the page had messed up the other day. So I don't know about these technical things. Sometimes they just happen and, and something's working one day and then the next day it's not. So um, please let me know. And Michael has joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And we're going to uh, continue our engagement with the Enlightenment book from the Kabors Manuscript and the derivative work that came out of that. I basically started into explaining how this these first couple of chapters of the book, The End of Suffering, came about as a result of my interaction with the Enlightenment book and working with that. So this was part of the extension of that. And yesterday we talked about uh, the idea of the overcoming life and how dealing with the internal dynamics of an individual's mind is something that is highly resisted. And therefore though it was the core instruction of Yeshua, became pretty much left behind untried and that a substitution of belief took place for the effort of doing one's inner work. So we're going to move on from there. But first I'll check with Jenny and see if we have any questions. Sweetie, do we have any questions in the um, uh, email or anything happening in the chat room or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? There are no hands up and nothing – oh, a hand just went up. But I was just going to say the only email that I got was the one that I gave you a copy of to Sean, and it's really detailed, so I don't know that we – you know, want, and he said we didn't have to address it on the radio show. Right. But I'll just yeah. say, Sean, if you're listening, you can't figure it out, and I think that's what you're trying to do. So, um, yeah, the number we, one pseudo solution of the non-being mind is if I could just figure this out. And, you know, there is an intellectual component to the journey, no question. But the objective of the intellectual journey is not to arrive at a an understanding of the bottom line truth the objective of the intellectual journey is, number one, intellect's questions out of the way so that our thing will shut up. You know, you've got to be out of your mind to heal. And two, to answer the questions of the intellect so it will quiet down. And then we can give instructions. So we're never going to get the truth out of the mind, but we can give it instructions and then it will support us and prompt us to follow those instructions so we can come into an experience of what this work is really about. So that would be the bottom line for me. Figuring it out is the booby prize. Doing the work is the objective. And we do have a hand up. It's Eric had 610. I believe it's Miss Susan. Yes, it is again. Yeah. Uh, Welcome, young lady. Take too long. <laughs> hey, um, just this is just a a report. Tim, Tim and I were in this snowstorm. Our whole area was in a snowstorm, and we lost electricity two days ago. And ouch. Um, I'm glad you said that because you know here we are. We were we were cold. We couldn't warm anything up because our stove is an electric stove, and I couldn't do any of my work. A lot of it is on the 
computer now. Uh, I'm editing a piece, and I, I can hand edit on pieces of paper, which I do, but I get to a point where I've got to put those onto the computer, and so that wasn't happening. Sure. And we have right. Michael, Michael here who has been homeless, as you know, and he had severe anxiety, uh, and he hasn't been well anyway. He's, he's been sick with some mysterious, he calls it irritable bowel syndrome, very upset gastric situation. Mm. And I, I found Tim, Tim too, Tim Bingham, we were saying to each other, isn't it amazing? We have a house, we have warm clothes, we can build a fire, we're okay, and we are so incredibly affected by this nuisance. We were, it was a very hard thing to get to, and I thought, boy, this is embarrassing. I was thinking about all, you know, Ukraine and Gaza uh, and the Holocaust, I thought, I have not appreciated how much suffering, how much destabilization, uncertainty, physical discomfort, hunger. We, didn't, we couldn't cook anything, so we went to a diner. Well, who gets to do that in Gaza? And so right. I'm just yeah. telling you that it just blew my mind how spoiled, privileged, how easily knocked off center Tim and I were. And as soon as the heat came on last night, we were dancing around saying, hey. And I, I can, I can understand that. You can't, but it's, it's, it's just a report of kind of mea culpa, yike. I have, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about this, except it was a learning experience. That's what it was. Realizing how privileged we are? Yeah, more than I knew. I'm with you. Absolutely. You know, being able to flip a little switch and have a place that's warm, that's like monumental when you think of the history of humanity and what people have lived through. (laughs) Definitely, for me, it goes far beyond gratitude into just deep appreciation for what we have, for sure. Yeah. So, so Johnny, uh, you, you know, and that appreciation. Was... Okay, good. How's your? Have you been able? I shouldn't ask you. I should give a report. I'm doing my Lenten practice. I started it this morning. Read a four-page letter that my mother had addressed to my oldest sister, and then asked if that sister would send it to the other siblings. And she put check boxes. And so I was the last recipient. So I got to keep the letter. And the thing I'm noticing is having made the decision to read her letters feels really, really good. Even though this particular letter Mm. was just newsiness. You know, what daddy was doing. And they had just moved to Florida and how happy they were there. And they're planting tomatoes and Nothing, no big emotional reports or anything. It was just a happy woman chattering to her kids. And so that's my first report. All is well so far. And I well, won't... it sounds like getting into closer proximity and your relationship with her is becoming more comfortable, and that was the objective of the uh, 
the uh, mind shifter you've been working on. Yes. Yep. Very much so. So anyway, Sweet. Okay, I can thanks. I can sign off and let you carry on. All right. Have a blessed one. Holding the space. Thanks. You too. All right. There are no other hands up, so go for it. Well, then let's go with it. So again, the last paragraph that uh, that I read yesterday, I taught the possible. Yeshua speaking. I, ca- I taught the possible. The overcoming life, and because of its difficulty, it's been left untried. Instead, substituting belief for effort in the inner work I demonstrated and instructed people to do. In one case, several of my disciples, when instructed in the work required to heal, left muttering, too hard a saying, Now they never returned. I instructed people in the art and science of, doing the, of undoing the false self, of refraining from the habits, behaviors, addictions, and sensations that accompany, quote-unquote, living in that state of mind. I even informed them that the result would be a sort of death, saying that in order for you to live, you've got to die. It takes no effort to live in your natural state of love, unless you've lost your true identity. Having been focused on the outer world since birth, must learn to go within and expend the effort to do the work of forgiving the dynamics of the false self, the self fabricated by the mind. Freeing oneself from the thought disorders that constitute this self, Yesh referred to when he said, in order for you to live, you must die. That becomes the objective of one's inner work. The mind is a tricky thing. Those who refuse to expend the effort to do the inner work I taught would rather engage in the ruse that they can just shout my name and believe I will clean up their lives for them thinking that belief in me is all it takes. They concocted elaborate rituals in the hope that they can avoid the gut-level work of self-transformation, that work which I taught. To them I said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. In other words, if you're functioning out of hostility and fear, you ain't been doing what I've been telling you to do. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken to a wise man. I came to make you a wise person, not to promote the idea that you are a helpless sinner. I explained to those refusing to put their hand to the plow and do the work I recommended, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into community of love, but those which do the will of the Creator. Entering the quote-unquote kingdom of heaven was not about some afterlife belief in a paradise but properly understood in my native Aramaic was about living today in the state of love, the state of original being, which results in living in a community of love, which is the Aramaic meaning of heaven. Those who did not adopt my work 
Those that cried too hard a saying pretended, but they didn't know me at all. They used my name but continued in their old fear and hostility-based generational abuses, pretending to be under my cloak. No one whose language is still based in fear, threat, condemnation, and hostility is in alignment with the will of the Creator, love. One trapped in that mindset has much work to do to overcome that insanity instilled through fear-based language. Do you mean that, that John 14:6 you were quoted inaccurately when it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me? No, that quote is absolutely accurate. However, you must recall, I said it's important to hear my meanings in their original Aramaic context. Being so used to thinking I knew his teachings, I had to reach back to the earlier part of our conversation, which though it was just minutes ago seemed like hours. I recalled him saying it was Aramaic, but did not really grasp his statement about the Aramaic meanings of his words. Finally, I managed to answer, yes, I recall, but does that mean the translations were wrong? This may sound strange, but especially from my native Aramaic, you can have what seems to be a perfect translation and not have a clue what I meant. My language is rife with idioms that are not translatable, even by the best of translators. You must know the meanings of my idioms to have a clue about my instructions and results promised. Notice, my focus is on doing the inner work, not shouting my name and thinking all is well, an invention of the mind that does not grasp what I taught. The mind that does not understand inner work, the challenging work of facing and changing one's deepest non-being self, the inner meaning of my teaching, that one always wants a guru to follow, someone to do it for them. It was no different 2,000 years ago when I said to them, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in their own name, you'll accept them. It's not about me. It's about removing the inner blocks to relationship with our Creator, love. How much plainer can I say it? Others will want you to accept their interpretation of my words, but I ask you to listen to me and let my words speak for themselves. With my training, this was almost more than my nervous system could handle. I was dumbstruck. I finally managed to mutter, I'll have to breathe a while to get through those thoughts. My true teachings liberate people, them into direct relationship with love, instead of making them cower in fear of God, of the Creator. Remember, God is love. Fear has no place in any true relationship with the Creator. And I gave you people the protocol for doing that. I replied, I do not understand about this protocol. He replied, my words about the protocol are the most important words that I, or anyone for that matter, have ever spoken. Told them how to read the scriptures. I gave them the key 
but it has not been understood or it was covered up and ignored. How long will they, in my name, go on pretending to teach what I taught by promoting fear instead of love? How long will people fall for being manipulated to purposely instilled fear by those who've instilled that fear to keep them under control? I intended to free people from fear by teaching them the power of love. I was somewhat confused. His words delivered thought that seemed to me were condemning, yet his voice was filled with compassion. I knew that I had been the one speaking those words. It would have been out of extreme frustration and anger. But there was no judgment. He just offered helpful, true information while maintaining serenity and peace. He was speaking as though he was reporting the news. No attachment. I wondered, is this what holding to the first law, keeping the condition of love in the mind while confronting inappropriate behavior looks like? Be sure, he said, the person you stand before actually understands my teachings and methods before you accept their word that what they say has anything to do with me. A simple test to determine the veracity of someone who says they represent me is that as a result of practicing what they teach you, you will experience an increased ability to hold a space of love in your mind no matter what happens in your life. There is a game as old as time, and I pointed it out 2,000 years ago when I quoted Isaiah. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. It was my words, my teaching and my example that were important, not me. But but didn't you say I am the way? Yes, he replied. I also said, how be it in vain did they worship me? Once again, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of love, he hold to the tradition of men. In the past 2,000 years, millions have done the same thing in my name that non-reformed reformers have done since time immemorial. They focused on me, parroting what I said, but ignoring my instructions. And they didn't even know it. Again, Elias prophesied of this generation. He prophesied of hypocrites and said, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So what you find in the Aramaic is that the objective is to bring the heart, which in our modern updated language would be the unconscious, into alignment with what our words are saying and what's going on in our heads. Not a set of words going on in the, in the head but behaviors coming from the heart. You remember Yeshua said, you, you know, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life, and you must forgive from your heart. It doesn't mean, that's not a bleeding heart statement, forgive from your heart. It's saying you must remove content from your own unconscious that's out of alignment with the words you speak. 
he goes on to say, I corrected the errors of my forebears, errors that had been taught as scripture and presented as the word of God. But, but if it's written in the Bible, I replied, it is the word of God, I retorted. Well, there are those who would like you to believe that, but notice I brought corrections. If corrections were needed, obviously what I corrected must have been an error. That's just too much for my mind to handle. The world I was born into calls that blasphemy. Yes, he said, and so did the world that I was born into, and that's one of the reasons they killed me. I challenged the established orders, the beliefs, and the power structures of my day by bringing truth. I confronted their errors, and they had to get rid of me because my ideas were gaining wide acceptance and would have led to a loss of their power. To to confront a person's, or, or, or worse yet, a power structure's errors is to elevate the stress of each individual involved. Most humans travel the lower path, and one of the the behaviors common to that mode of living is that when stress goes up, the one experiencing the elevated stress looks outside themselves to remove the stimulus for the stress. For most, there is no interest in dealing with the cause of the stresses, which are always internal. I replied to him, I get the sense you just said something very important, but I'm not sure I understand what it was. I breathed. His words seared my mind like a hot poker. In my name, fear, terror, threats, religious abuse, condemnation and discrimination, guilt, fear, suffering, blood sacrifice, punishment, religious wars, crusades, inquisitions, witch burnings, and torture. They're all the very behaviors that came to halt. They're all behaviors that come from the insane human mind. And mark my words, anyone who does any of the above is insane. But you've just included the majority of the world's population in your definition of insanity. Yes, and rightly so. I came to restore sanity to a world gone mad. I came to instruct humanity how to shift from a fear-based mind, the mind of the world, to a love-based mind, the mind of the Creator. You were told in the scriptures that I said, have rachma for your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. But wrapped as they were in the commandments of men, they could not hear my instructions. It's time for my words to be heeded. I presented an ethic to the world and demonstrated living that ethic in the face of overwhelming abuse and torture. And people promoted the idea that I came to teach the acceptance of abuse and suffering as a holy thing. 
I can teach the power of staying connected to the presence of loving you and removing everything that conflicted against that. Living my ethic, not shouting my name, is how to profess and prove belief in me. You accept me when you live as I instructed, not live in the same old conditions, using the same old language, playing out the same hostilities we're shouting my name. Over the course of the last two millennia, distortions occurred in the interpretation of my work and teaching, twisted and reversed much of what I meant. Let me unfold for you an understanding of the developments that has people in my name violating virtually everything I said. His voice was filled with compassion, and he seemed committed to telling a story that needed to be told. There was a deep clarity and power in his words. He'd been told that on the cross I said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Words that I never spoke. Those words were put into my mouth by people who did not understand what happened in the days surrounding my death. They either had no comprehension of the power and import of my words or had no interest in representing the truth of what I said. My actual words, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, four of the final words I uttered from the cross, are the few words in the Western construction of the scriptures that appears they fell from my lips untranslated. Those words spoken in my native Semitic tongue, Aramaic, accurately conveyed my state of mind. When the Greeks got through with their misinterpretation, I had been anything but accurately represented. Contrary to the traditional understanding of those words, I did not speak out of victimhood, but celebration. My disciples, those who conveyed the stories that have become your scriptures, did not understand. Throughout my healing at Gethsemane, my trial and the crucifixion, they were lost, unconscious in the mind of fear, which induces a kind of stupor, somewhat like an anesthetic, which stifles the higher faculties. Literally, living in fear is called sympathetic dominance, and it shunts blood away from the frontal lobes of the brain where Rachma is located. I was tutoring them on how to enter a new mind, the mind I used, but due to their unforgiven fears and hostilities, they could not hold to it. Had they been able to think in terms other than their human minds, they would have understood. But the adversary, fear, had such a grip on them, they could not. Recall in the garden, I found the disciples asleep, unconscious, and I said, Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Could thou not watch one hour? My explanation of the problem? The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. Anyone who has actually embarked on the work I taught will recognize Peter's challenge because they themselves have been through the ordeal of not being able to follow their higher guidance, commitments, and aspirations when stressed. 
Many want to travel the path they laid out, but they are too engrossed in the adversary. The mind of the body with its past, its generational pains, fears, rages, blocks, frustrations, and vengeances. Each must bear the task of working through their own past, of getting beyond their history. I did not bring a belief system to be believed, but a body of work to be done. My life was a call to do that, for each to take up their cross, not mine. Few recognized that I was teaching the tools with which to do that inner work, to overcome the body's mind, and even fewer practiced the use of those tools. I lived my own teaching. Unbeknownst to my disciples, facing death and conquering it by holding to the mind of love, the mind of the Creator, was my process in Gethsemane and beyond. I challenged the world mind so deeply they killed me. Some think I was martyred, but I lived through death, an accomplishment inconceivable for the world mind. Each of my martyred disciples died. Lacking the ability to produce the result I did, do you think they actually possessed the capacity to accurately explain my teachings and achievement? Do you suppose they could teach how to accomplish stepping into eternal life? They misread my deepest teachings. What other explanation is there for their behaviors? So great was his lack of understanding that Peter even used his sword to try to stop my process, to prevent the accomplishment of the very purpose for which I came. I was here to open the gateway to the overcoming of death for all, And to him I said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest or honor, not the things that be of the Creator, but those that be of men. Satan, Satani in my native Aramaic, simply means the resister, the adversary, one who misleads. Peter was adversarial to and resisted the plan that I was playing out because he was attached to the output of his own fear-based mind. He loved, quote-unquote, not the things that be of the Creator, but those that be of men. As he took a breath, I broke in and said, I know who Satan is. I've spent years in scriptural study and know that Satan is a dark, fallen angel that disobeyed God. He holds such horror and never grasped why you insulted Peter by calling him that. Yes, she replied, I understand your culture's idea of Satan. It's part of how you're kept in fear. Once again, your beliefs about Satan lock you into the things, quote, that be of men, and that's why you're not hearing me. I just clearly defined for you my meaning for Satan, and you slid right over it and inserted your own definition, though I quite clearly was saying something else. It's an important piece of work to be able to catch your mind when it does this. For those who are adversaries to my work and purpose will take advantage of that tendency in you. 
honoring the things that be of the creator, those based in love, more than those based in the minds of men, fear and hostility, is the solution to that problem. In short, you must learn to honor yourself as love more than you fear fear and more than you trust your anger to protect you. Humanity, for eons, has been trained in fear, and it is difficult for a fear-based mind to elevate love above its God, fear. I came to train humans to function first out of love, but they had difficulty in even understanding because they were listening to me through a screen, actually quite literally a filter of fear. The human mind, programmed through fear, resists change and is the main adversary to truth. At this moment, as I often pointed out to my students in the scriptures, you cannot hear my word. Notice when this happens, you only hear what's going on in your own head. You think you're hearing me and understanding my words, but that grotesque personification of all that is evil The definition held in your mind from your past is not what I called Peter. That would be a grave insult, a terrible thing to call anyone, let alone one of my beloved disciples. Aramaic peoples would never do that to a friend. Are you prepared to consider that I meant something different than that beast you've been taught exists, Peter, and called him Satan? I replied, I always thought it was unkind for you to have called him that, so it makes sense that you meant something different. I'm a little confused, though, and need help in getting clear on what you're saying. Confusion is a natural part of undoing serious misperceptions, especially if there are emotions attached to them. Get used to it if you're going to engage in the work I taught. It is a part of becoming free, of cleaning up and clearing out of your mind those things that be of men. This is a major piece of work that each must now do. Each who, through fear, has had fear preached to them in my name. There's a great deal of false teaching to be forgiven if you're ever going to have a mind that can actually represent me. Developing ability to think in Aramaic meaning so that you can understand my words as I meant them is no small feat. When in my name you've been steeped in Greek philosophy. My teachings and all of your Western theology has been filtered through and powerfully influenced by Greek minds choked on horrific images of gods and devils. I cannot overemphasize the importance of shaking yourself free of all of that and adopting my Aramaic meanings and mindset. The human mind and its thought system is like a container blocking entrance which 
to that which does not fit into it and adding its own content to that which does. Greek thought as a container is a well-developed example of materialist thinking, quote-unquote thinking, an example of what the scriptures refer to as the mind of men. Time I, in my native Aramaic, taught a previously, pardon me, taught a previously unknown understanding of life, of the Creator, and of the pathways to living inside the laws of the Creator. This form of thinking had pervaded much of the world and dominated Western thought. The filtering of my teachings through Greek translations add, add much that was not in my mind and blocks the understanding of a significant portion of what I taught, having the effect of shutting people's minds to what I did teach. For instance, many use my name and preach a wrathful, vengeful, punishing God. Instead of them, listen to my words. When I spoke of the Creator, my mind was not filled with the punitive Greek pantheon that was forced on you in Greek philosophy and passed on to you as having come from me. I spoke of the Creator as Spirit, whose kingdom is within you, who knoweth what things you have need of before you ask, whose good pleasure it is to give you the kingdom, and who is kind even to the unthankful and to the evil. Find me men that live that today. It is the Creator's nature to bless, and anything less is impossible. Hellfire is man's fantasy, made up to keep others out of the mind of love by locking them into fear. When I spoke of Satan, I did not have beastly images of Greek terror in mind. If you want to be able to accomplish what I did, you must remove those images. You must align every part of yourself with love. Just listen to and understand my words. Understand them as I meant them. Greek thought was very materially and intellectually oriented and never matured spiritually into a mindset that could contain or even comprehend my teachings. Greek philosophy is an example of uh, the highly developed trickery of the mind of man, the mind of perception, which has, due to its limited nature, watered down everything I taught. If you listen to my words, they tell you quite a different story. They tell you exactly what I meant. For example, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Notice the criteria was the behavior, not acceptance of me. Judge not, condemn not. Forgive, and forgiveness will occur for you.
and my response was, but what about judgment? His reply, there is judgment, yes. And I explained it when I said, by whatever measure you measure, it will be measured unto you. Not the judgment condemnation that Greek mythology brings to my words, but in a sense of bringing you what you ask for. I know something that you and the Greek scholars do not know. Could they write down or translate what they did not understand and had not experienced? When you find one that can hold the space of love for their killers, perhaps you will have found one who knows. Until then, learn what I said in its original form and you will grow the understanding that will show you how to accomplish what I did. To understand me, best you listen to what I have to say rather than being trapped in what was planted in your mind by those who did not understand or had motives other than to represent me accurately. Simply look without the prejudice of your past at my words. I did not address Peter as a beastly personification of evil. In my statement to Peter, who was a resistor to the Creator's mind and an adversary to my purpose, I defined what I meant by Satan. Wait a minute, I'm still a little confused. I'm not quite taking in what you mean. He replied once more, Listen to what I said to Peter. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I replied, well, what's that got to do with our discussion? We were talking about Satan. He replied, yes, Satan. Remember I spoke of two possible minds for a human to think of, or pardon me, to think with? One is the fabricated, poverty, fear, and hostility-based mind of perception. The adversary, Satan. The other is the mind of love. That's almost more than I can think about. Listen to my words. My definition of Satan is in those words. Nothing to do with that horrific demon that the Greeks implanted in your mind. My words speak for themselves. Recall, Satana in Aramaic is the resistor or adversary. The creator's mind is the mind of love, and love is always present if the mind of God is active in you. Nothing religious about that, just the fact of active, present love in you. The other mind is a pretender. Only one is real, cannot listen to two minds. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve the creator and the mind of the body or mammon. Peter attempted to serve the creator with a fear-based mind, 
the mind of his body, mammon in my words, and rendered himself unable to see the true purpose of my situation. Entangled as he was in the things that be of men, he thought he was being protective, but was trapped quite literally in Satan, the adversary, his fear-based mind, and I told him so. A mind governed by the laws of fear with its resistance to loving perceptions blocks truth and therefore distorts whatever it sees. Awareness of what is true is blocked because fear pushes love's mind, the mind of the creator, away. Trapped in the pretender, the mind of the body, of man, he was judging the situation out of his past, therefore, or savoring the things that be of men. That fear mind was his adversary and prevented him from savoring the things that be of God. That is, prevented him from understanding what was available and understandable only through the mind of love. He went on to admit, at first I was even in fear about this plan. At Gethsemane, before I understood fully, I said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. As I healed my fear that day, I began to fully grasp the Creator's plan for me, but Peter did not. Locked as he was into his fabricated fear-based mind, Satan in my language, he could not hear the promptings from God that would have shown him what was really happening. Had he been truly savoring the things that be of the Creator, he would not have been place of resistance. He would have seen that this plan was based in love and was not about suffering, sacrifice, and victimhood, but a demonstration, something that was impossible for him to comprehend. Notice there are those today who yet promote the value of suffering, sacrifice. If Peter had gotten his way, resistant as he was to the truth of the situation, who would have led me away from my mission? Did me from being held up as a demonstration to all of humanity that the Creator did not create us for death, and death could actually be overcome. He therefore met my culture's definition of Satan, the resistor, and would have misled me even if I had not been aware. Recall, I made Satan, quote-unquote, mind of man, my footstool, my servant, not my God. To understand me, you must do the same. I taught my disciples a form of forgiveness foreign to your culture. In my native Aramaic, forgiveness is a way to remove unwanted conditions from the mind. It is not about letting others off the hook because that undesirable condition is active in you. Had Peter been conscious enough to apply what I taught him, instead of trying to stop my process, he would have weakened fear's grip on him by applying forgiveness. 
By doing so, his mind would have been free of the adversary fear and available to my purpose. He would have cast out fear, as I taught, by the presence of perfect love, and then would have actually supported me by holding fast to that love, which is what I'd been teaching him and each of my disciples. So grave was Peter's lack of understanding that when asked if he was one of my followers, he denied me and began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know this man of whom you speak. The rest of my disciples, trapped as they were in the adversary fear, forsook me and fled. They were, quite literally, trapped in Satan. Good from the mind of love, the mind I'd been training my disciples for, they did not understand what I set up and what I had consciously consented to participate in by being tortured and crucified. Contrary to all their fears, I knew at the moment of my impending death that death no longer had a hold over me, a truth beyond the grasp of anyone functioning out of the body's mind. I had done my work. No one was aware that I had ended suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. I had overcome death and suffering, and by so doing, opened the door for humanity when willing to do the same. Notice how I treated people, even my enemies. That is what doing the will of my Father entails. My victory over suffering and death was such a quantum leap beyond the world mind the mind that kills us, that no one, including my disciples, could even relate, let alone understand. What I did was so far beyond the beliefs of a humanity steeped in suffering and death that it had to be diluted, obviously even by the students I'd been personally training. What I'm about to unfold may sound like science fiction, but it is science fact. Lacking comprehension of my mission, and the purpose of my work. Suffice to say, no one understood what I accomplished that day. My head reeled. Everything in me balked at these ideas. Do I dare engage these thoughts? My breath evaporated as his statements transformed themselves into questions in my mind. No one understood? Watered down? That can't be. I began to grasp the authorities who use fear and force are simply insecure in their knowledge and have lost contact with the presence of love that was their true state. I was astounded. I had studied and listened to Yeshua's every word I'd follow the directives of the Greek experts, the people who knew. I thought, I've looked in all the right places, the church, the scriptures. I've read the writings of the best theologians I could identify. I knew more than I needed to know about dogma. It had been drummed into my head since childhood. I thought, why was I never offered this knowledge? Then I took for me what was an extremely difficult step. So I was in shock, I began to admit for the first time that much of the dogma I believed I had accepted because of fear. 
intimidated by those in charge into believing that his teachings were expressed fully in the Greek writings, I did not allow myself a conflicting thought. I dare not clash with the scholars and preachers whose silent contempt and arrogance I bought into, and by so doing enforced the life out of any real questioning I might have engaged in. Now, with just a few words direct from Yeshua, I started to develop the ability to see from his perspective. For the first time in my life, I allowed myself something I had been absolutely forbidden. I began to concede that somewhere inside me I knew something was not right. An inner knowing I dared not acknowledge previously told me there were important pieces missing and finally the light was dawning. I had always been confused by my own inability to live up to what I saw as Yeshua's example. Even more disconcerting were some of the actions of religious leaders I observed. They preached Yeshua's words of love but counseled and did violence. I had watched their verbal violence toward children and wondered how they could recommend war. Chrissy, the guilt trips, the raging sermons, the hostility and fear had always shaken my core and seemed inconsistent with Yeshua's message of love. I began to trust the wisdom I was born with. For intuitively, I always knew that life was about something different than all the hostility and fear of the world, preachers included. I could now see and was finally beginning to understand In the past, I had indicted myself and the hypocrites for our quote-unquote sins. I was starting to see that we've all been born in a bread of world of, in a world of hostility, punishment, and fear, and therefore unknowingly had been conformed to this world. Suddenly, it was obvious that people did not choose the negative pathway. It was just the way of the world to take over and mold people's minds unless they were aware What was needed was a space of love for healing, a space where on a very practical level we could be transformed by the renewing of the mind and learn to live in this mind, which was also the mind of Yeshua. I was beginning to grasp that he came to teach us to weaken fear, hostility, and its accompanying behaviors through forgiveness and love thereby thereby developing the ability to think and live out of a mind of love, which is literally the mind of the Creator. It was as though a bright light shone in the dark, the dingy corners of my mind. So a person in error is in need of someone who can presence love, the mind of God, I exploded with excitement. Yeshua explained that the original idea of priesthood was to do exactly that. I came to bring tools that empowered people in the experience of love, not the theological wrangling that today passes as my work. It was the job of the priest to have done his or her own inner work to the point that no matter what that priest faced, no matter what another was going through, they could hold 
and actively presence love, the mind of Christ, and therefore facilitate healing, he explained. The world mind, the adversary, thinks it's being helpful when it judges and condemns. In its righteousness and pretense at knowing, it punishes and condemns, and by doing so just adds error to error, dragging down the person it purports to correct. Yeshua spoke up. Recall, I said, neither do I condemn thee. Suffice to say, the mind that condemns has not done its own work and is appropriately described by Paul when he says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou dost the same things. Humanity is not in need of more judgment especially from one thinking they represent me. For one who condemns is simply caught in an error corresponding to the error of the person they condemn. It is time for humanity to get the truth. I aim to deliver the tools for each individual to manifest the love of God in their lives and the lives of those who could not do it for themselves, whatever their error. Clearly, I did not come to deliver reasons for war, separation, dogma, condemnation, and fault-finding. I said, and if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Read my lips. No judgment. I came to save the world mind from its own insanity, and it's carried on with all its old conflicts, family squabbles, Wars and reasons for separation or religious condemnation as though I had never spoken. The killing, psychological, emotional, and physical, is continued as if I demonstrated nothing. Only now it's often done in my name. Your world is in danger of self-destruction. Much of it over theological conflict and debate. It is time for the insanity done in the name of the Creator, love, to end and for the work I demonstrated to actually be carried out. It's time for a suffering humanity to experience the active presence of the love of God, whoever they are, whatever their form of suffering. Condemnation, study, debate, and war will not bring healing, but the active presence of love will. My heart opened and tears began to flow as I could feel old trauma melting away. In that same instant, without conscious prompting from me, my mind shifted to excitement. Could it be after all these years of study I'm beginning to really hear the truth? Here it is, my mind saying, my opportunity to ask directly. Breathing with you. Thank you for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Bye-bye.